Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. Today, we're going to talk about how to get more out of your work, your coworkers, or your employees, if that's applicable to you, and your life in general, which is super appealing to me. We're going to be learning all kinds of tips and strategies from our guest, Michael Alden. Michael is the founder and CEO of Blue Marketing, a multi-million dollar full-service direct response marketing agency offering media production, sales and customer satisfaction call centers, warehousing fulfillment, and analytics. Under Alden's leadership, Blue Vase has grown from a small call center into a comprehensive marketing management company ranked by Inc. Magazine for the third year in a row as one of the nation's 5,000 fastest growing private companies. In 2014, Mike was also named by the Boston Business Journal as one of Boston's 40 under 40 business and civic leaders who are making a major impact in their respective fields and the civic life of the Boston area. Most recently, Michael received Smart CEO's Future 50 Award in recognition of Blue Vase Marketing's fast-paced growth. He's also the best-selling author of the book Ask More, Get More, which has been listed at the top of Amazon, the Wall Street Journal, and USA Today's best-selling lists. That's incidentally why I reached out to Michael. And his second book is about to come out. It's called 5% More. It's set to release on the 29th of this month, uh, August 29th, 2016. And it presents readers with a roadmap to success by applying small changes to yield extraordinary results. It's already gaining acclaim and has been selected as one of the best books of the month in the business and leadership section by Amazon editors. That's pretty bad ash. Go to his website for more information, michael-alden.com, A-L-D-E-N. Welcome, Michael. Wow. Thank you very much. You know, listening to all that stuff, I'm like, I'm saying to myself, who is that guy? You're like, I'm awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just actually, hold on. Let me pat myself on the back. There you go. go. (laughs) That was great. That was great. Thanks for the intro. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm excited. Um, I love the concepts that you're spreading out there. And obviously, congratulations on all of your successes, building your business from a small call center to this huge company that, that must feel pretty damn good. Yeah, you know, it, it's been great. You know, we like you mentioned, you know, we started out with, literally with nothing, with, you know, credit cards and, and a little bit of money and five people with, with a vision uh, and an idea of where we wanted to go. And like I said, it was just you know, five of us. And, and we took that from, you know, from zero to our first year. We did close to 10 million in revenue. Yeah. And yeah, and then we just, you know, just grew it out from there. It's amazing. It's been, it's been, it's been, been a heck of a ride thus far. And I can't wait to see what uh, the future has to hold for us. Heck yeah. Well, let's let's step back a little bit before you even started Blue Vase. Um, tell us about your personal journey, what brought you to becoming a businessman, and then later an author, and now you're a successful speaker as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I kind of have that, I guess you want to call it classic rag, rags to riches type story. I grew up in, in the projects of Beverly, Massachusetts, and people joke around and they say, you, you've never seen projects until you've been to the south side of Chicago or Compton or Watts or something like that. But mm-hmm. I grew up you know, in state housing. My mother's HIV positive. My stepfather died of AIDS. My um, uh, my uh, One of my brothers uh, passed away from an overdose. A kid I grew up with is in jail for life for murder. And, you know, and I, you know, I got in trouble when I was a kid. And, you know, I was surrounded by really just, you know, just a very, very uh, impoverished uh, situation and yeah, yeah, a lot of darkness, a lot of negativity, and 
And you know, as a very at a very young age, I was I was lucky enough though to have teachers, to have coaches, and my parents actually cared about me, which is important too. And I started to see just uh, a little bit. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit over time. And I also at one point when I was about fourteen or fifteen years old, and I talked about it in my first book, I, I looked at what my life would look like. Uh, if I projected out a few years, and it didn't look good uh, as far as the the path that I was leading, and you know, so I made I made a decision internally to change my life, and and I started to look at you know the things uh, that I could take advantage of, and and I used the term exploit the opportunities that I could exploit and the people that I could leverage, and that ultimately was my teachers, my coaches, and my parents, so that I could get better in life, and that's kind of how the whole thing started, really. I, you know, kudos to you for having the the mindset to look for the positive, right? Because most people at that age don't. Yeah, you know, it's really difficult. Again, when I start, and I, I talk to people a lot, and I know you do as well, and, and when people go through that difficult situation, you know, when you're when you're a kid like I was, and you would wake up in the morning, and there wasn't anything to eat in the morning, or when you had to stand in a separate line in elementary school, middle school, and high school like I did because my lunch was subsidized by the state, or when you wake up in the morning on a winter morning, and you go outside uh, to have your mom drive you to work, and you realize the car's not there because it's been repossessed, it's, it's, not, it's not a fun thing. You can't see that what I like to talk about is the silver lining uh, yeah. in that when you're That's living. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, when, when it's it. just constant shit, how do you break free from that and start to look at positive opportunities? I mean, was there like, you said your coaches, your teachers. So was there one person in particular who just kind of made you be like excited about trying to forge a new path for yourself? No, no, and that's the thing too. You know, I talked about my brother a second ago who, who passed away, and I, and I and I see kids that that, that are just get lost and they get caught up in life. No, I mean there was there was a, there was definitely it was a more of a of a group effort. You know, like people say, it takes a village. It was definitely a group mm. effort. And again, I, at a young age, you know, people say, well, you know, please talk to this kid or talk to that kid, and and I do it all the time. But at some point in 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 anyone's life, you have to step back and become accountable for who you are and where you're at in life. And I don't care if you're 14 years old, 15 years old, or 50 years old. You have to become accountable. And that's what I did when I was a kid. When I was a bad kid and my grades sucked and I was getting in trouble and I was fighting and I was, you know, you got arrested a couple times, I had to become accountable and say, I'm sitting in this jail cell in Beverly, Massachusetts, handcuffed to a chair at 14 because of the actions and the decisions that I made. And, they, and, and it's no one else's fault but mine. And that was really kind of the, the aha moment for me where I became accountable for my own actions and said, I don't want to be this kid anymore. What can I do? And that's really when the only way you can do it is you have to change your own thoughts. And people, you know, it sounds like, you know, really fluffy and just total bullshit. <laughs> and, I, and, and I thought that way too, but it really, and I know you know this, it really works. And, you know, you hear about the, the thought process, but at the end of the day, and this is not total bullshit, it's real stuff. Science proves it, that we control our thoughts. And that's, for me, when I look at all the people that I grew up with and even family members today and why I'm where I'm at today and they're not, and the, the very simple thing, Michelle, when I look at it, and you look at my DNA and you look at their DNA, there's certain things that we both have and there are certain things that we both don't have. And one of the things that we don't have, nobody has it. We don't have a success gene and we don't have a failure gene, but we do have the ability to control our own thoughts. And that's really what I did when I was a kid. And it really was taught to me by teachers, by coaches, and even my parents, but it was a more of a group effort. Mm. I love what you said. We're not born with a success gene or a failure gene. And yeah. I think a lot of people think they are, like they're just destined to be down one path or the other based on what, you know, generations before them had achieved or not achieved, you know? 
Yeah, you know, and you know, you hear about how you know you're a product of your environment, and you know, and uh, you are a product of your environment to a certain extent. You know, you hear this, you hear the saying, you know, you you, know, you can take the kid out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the kid, mm. and and that's true. You know what I mean? So I'm always going to be that kid with a chip on my shoulder, but I'm not living in the hood anymore. And so many people feel like just because you grew up in the hood, or you grew up being a thug, or you grew up being poor, means you always have to be poor, and that isn't how it's that supposed to be. That is not true, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I want to kind of fast forward to, so you took this mindset, obviously you've made a success out of yourself, and I want to lead to what brought you to writing this book, Ask More, Get More. How did that come into being? Well, you know, as a, when I started to look at my life, and, and a lot of people would ask me, they said, Mike, you know, h- how did you do it? How did you go from where you were at when you were a kid, that kid we just described, to where you're at now, sitting at the helm of, of a multi-million dollar company, living a life that most people dream about? And, you know, what did you do? And a lot of people said to me, they said, Mike, what makes you so different? And that's when I talked about that success gene and that failure gene. And I started to say to myself, what, what, how, what, what am I doing that is different? And I looked at it, and, and I, there is no success gene. There is no failure, Gene. My DNA is no different than anybody else's. And some people argue with me and talk about, you know, things like uh, learning disabilities. But that, again, comes with the whole accountability factor. But I started looking at it and said, again, the only thing that I've done differently is I just thought a little bit differently. So I started writing it down. Like, what did I do in this situation? Or what did I do in that situation? And ask more, get more is really kind of three concepts. The first one is how to ask more out of yourself. You know, so when I was a kid, you know, playing football or what have you, uh, you know, and I had to get to practice, I could do one of two things if my mother couldn't bring me there because she was working her second job. I could either not go to practice right? Mm -hmm. Or I could put my gear on and walk to practice. And I chose that ladder. I walked to practice where there are some kids that didn't go to practice because they just felt like their parents needed to drive them or they just Mm -hmm. didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there were times where I didn't go to practice too. But that's the time when I realized, you know, the the whole saying idle hands, that's when I started to get in trouble. So I said, you know what, I need to get out of that stuff. So at first I said, "Let's, let's ask more to myself. Then it's Let's ask more out of others. When you talked, when I talked about the coaches and the parents and the teachers, you know, I just spoke to a, a high school well, back in December. I spoke to this high school in East Boston High School, and I said to, the, to these kids, I said, "Look, we were taught at a very young age that it's improper to ask for more, right? You always hear that. You're rude. Stop asking for right. more." Right. And I I tell people that is the complete opposite way to think, especially when it relates to your life. So let's let's ask more out of ourselves. Let's ask more out of others, especially the others that can help us. Mm-hmm. And I've done that my whole life. I've always asked people, hey, look, I don't understand this concept in geometry. Can you help me? I don't understand why. I don't know what a, I, I'm an author. I don't even I still don't know what a parallel sentence is. But can you show <laughs> me what that what, what that is and explain oh, to me why? You, you just brought why? back a weird memory of like those <laughs> yeah. visuals that you used yeah. to have to draw. Exactly. Those red lines, right? <laughs> what the so, hell? You know, so 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 you so a lot of people, a lot of kids because they're taught this whole this whole general concept of not asking for more they say you know what i just don't get it i'm not going to ask for it and that's wrong it's not the right way to think and i'm not talking about being greedy i'm talking about your life i'm talking about getting better i'm talking about getting out of the situation that you're in and the only way you can do that as a poor kid surrounded by crime drugs and violence and without anything no money no resources you just have to ask others look mm-hmm. when i became a lawyer uh, when i graduated law school i because of the way i grew up i didn't know any other lawyers i didn't know even what a what but being a lawyer meant, but I, I met this one lawyer, the only lawyer I knew. And I said to him, I said, Chris, 
you're going to be my mentor now <laughs> because, <laughs> because like, okay. I, need somebody, I need somebody to teach me, you know? So that's an example of like, I asked him in a, in a very, you know, kind of abrupt way. Hey, look, I need you to help me. Yeah. Show me the way. What, what do I need to do? What does it mean to file a brief? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to file mm. a lawsuit, you know, show well, this, how, this, how do I do that? Yeah. And so this actually leads me to a question that I have for you, which is like, how should people be asking? Cause you can't just go up to people with your hands out and be like, okay, I'm asking for something. You give it to me. Yes. You know, you can't. So there has to be something behind it that you're looking for someone's experience, for someone's advice, for uh, guidance, right? That's a great question. Look, people inherently like to help other people. That, I'm a firm believer in that. So whatever it is, it's not not a handout. It's more about, yeah, the experience. It's more about the advice. You know, can you, uh, you know, can you help me, uh, again, back to the the math question. Can you help, can you show me after class, Mr. and Mrs. Teacher, after class, because yeah, I understand we, we only have so much time, but can you take five minutes and maybe go over with me what the Pythagorean the- theorem is? <laughs> whatever these things, you mm-hmm. know. So, Which so, you'll so, never use in your life, everyone. Yeah, but it, <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things like that because, you know, when I look at it too, a lot of times we're embarrassed when we don't know, right? So, so sure, yeah. I mean, there is, I'll give you a funny example. When I was in college, right, I was reading a, peris, a periscope or a horoscope to, to people and, and, and I'm reading I it. I loved that me. slip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so, so I'm reading it and it said, uh, I said that my, it was my buddy's uh, uh, horoscope and it said, um, uh, be aware of a late night Rendes vows and 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 my and my roommate said Rendes vows. What's that? And I looked at it. It was the word rendezvous. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the word rendezvous, as you look at, it, I'm in college now, and I was embarrassed by that. And 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 so people get they're 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 nervous. They're embarrassed. So they don't want to ask the question because they don't know. I learned at a very young age to ask questions when I don't know because what happens is people then either make mistakes or they just they just brush it off mm-hmm. and decide to maybe push forward without getting the answers to the questions. So when it's talking about asking more and it's not handouts it's like hey can you help me because human beings inherently love to help others you know I know how I know that because we wouldn't exist today if others didn't help each mm-hmm. other that's there's no the such thing as a dumb question you know? Yeah, I mean, you hear that all the time. Yeah. It's, it's a true statement. It's, it's still difficult, though, for so many people to ask because they feel like that uh, that other person on the other end of their question is going to judge them and, and think that they're dumb, that they should know this by now. You know, again, back to that when I was, I was uh, just recently spoke at a college, and I, and, I, and I tell people this, years ago, a few, year, a few years ago, I decided, this is very recently, within the past five years, I was going to no longer care about what other people thought about me. And, and and it's a hard thing to understand. I no longer care what other people think about me. You like me, you hate me, you think I'm a loser, whatever. I don't care. You know why? Because I know who the person I am inside. I know what I'm doing inside and I know the person that I'm trying to be. So if you're worried about what other people think, stop worrying about that and start thinking about the person that you want to be because the only way you're going to get there is if you're with help from other people. You never, listen, people don't become successful on their own. On their own. They become successful by leveraging other yeah. people that's just that's the, yeah. that that's that's how the history mm-hmm. of this world has worked mm-hmm. so don't be embarrassed when you don't know something and don't be afraid or bashful to ask the question and, and you know look again when i was in law school uh one of the one of the the the, the 
the most feared things to do in law school is to ask a question in front of your 150 classmates because most of the times you really don't know the answers in, in class. And, you know, and it's a very scary situation because the law, especially the type of law school I went to, they follow what they call the Socratic method. So every time you ask a question, they, they fire you back another question. It gets very confusing. But that's how, that's how you learn and that's how you work through problems. Ooh, and that's I how don't know how I would do with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a teacher who used to answer with another question. I'd be like, come on. That's exactly <laughs> <laughs> That's they call that the Socratic method, Ugh. and it's difficult to do. But yes. you have to put yourself in that situation in order to grow, and that's what I did. And nobody likes doing it. And I'll tell you right now, I don't like doing it. And even today, as I sit here today, nobody likes to be put in a situation that that's uncomfortable. But that's right. how you grow, yeah. and that's a fact. And it's difficult, I think, or will be difficult for people out there listening who have that kind of personality type that is very proud, very independent, you know, has grit. And so they're like, I'm going to do this myself, that kind of thing. So it's difficult to be willing to take that step to ask someone for guidance. Yeah, you know, pride uh, is is a great thing to a certain extent, but if it's going to, you know, if it's going to cause the ship to essentially sink because you're, you're very, you 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 take pride in the fact that the Titanic should have never sank, you know, and you and you're so proud about that, but you're forgetting the fact that you just hit a uh, an iceberg and the ship actually is sinking. Your pride is going to get you nowhere but the frozen water. So don't worry about what again how other people think and take that pride, suck it up, and, and move forward. You mm-hmm. talked about grit, grit is really about the guys that are going to persevere, that are going to ask the questions, that are going to be embarrassed, that are going to just really kind of mm-hmm. figure it out and grind it out. That's like, screw this. Is. I'm going to get it done. <laughs> I don't care what people think. If I'm, yeah. right, if I'm right, I'm right. And the other thing, too, is don't worry about being right or wrong. I'm wrong every, every day. And again, human nature, we all we all feel weird about being wrong or I, mm-hmm. you know, listen, when I'm texting somebody, I, I have this weird thing. I'm always freaking out about sending it, uh, you know, the, a spelling error or, or mm-hmm. what have you, you mm-hmm. know, because no one wants, uh, look, I'm a two-time author and, I, and, and, and if I send somebody a text and it, God forbid, it's grammatically incorrect, you know, I'm, yeah. Nobody I, I really think, pays attention that. to that anymore so via text. Some of my asshole friends do. Oh, really? <laughs> I love how they're still your friends, but they're assholes. Yeah, as long as they buy a couple copies of the latest book, I love them. (laughs) So when can someone know if they're asking for too much? How do you know if you've asked for too much? I don't believe in that concept at all. I don't think there is there is such a thing as asking is asking. Well, for too much. I I feel like on my end when people ask me for something, I feel like there's a limit. Like at some point, I've given you the tools to go and and do this, and so don't ask me to do it for you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole classic, you know, you can teach a person person to fish type scenario. Yeah, I, so, you know, I guess I agree with you there when, when there is a, if you show someone how to fish and then they ask you again and keep asking over and over and over again, maybe, maybe that, that, at that some point they do have a learning disability, but it's more about, it's, it's a more about, it, it's a more about the generalized concept of ask more, get more yeah. and internalizing and understanding the fact that when you ask for more and you're getting better, you, you, you kind of just know that you, that you probably shouldn't take it that much further. You know what I mean? Right. So, it's time for you to take that and sail. Yeah, you know, and, and but but here's the thing. Again, it's like uh, go back to the, the fact when I was a lawyer. When you graduate law school, and, and and I went to a decent law school in Boston, and graduated top of my class, the whole thing. And and you get there, you get there, and you're like, man, I graduated law school, passed the bar bar exam, awesome. Okay, now it's time to start practicing law. And, and a lot of times, depending on the classes you took, and I took a lot of great classes, I didn't know the actual mechanical aspect of how to file a lawsuit and where to actually go and what stamp to use and, and what clerk to see and, and what button to press and what and how, what document to sign. You'd I didn't think know that any they of would that. teach you that. 
Well, no, see, they teach you, they teach you the general aspects of it in, in most schools, but they don't show you, hey, look, you know, if you're filing in Salem, Massachusetts, you need to go to um, Salem District Court, or you need to go to PB District Court, or you need to go to wherever. Right, right. So it's those things like that, and it seems like it's a simple thing. So, that you know, I, I again, I, I have to kind of go back to what I said is, is that – I don't believe that there's such a thing as asking too much. It's just you, you will know when it's too much, I guess, on your own. Mm-hmm. And that's really – because, again, I remember when I was a young – I would call this guy Chris. I'm, t- I'm like, Chris, where do I file? How do I file? How much do I pay? Where do I go? Where do I park? Like all those little simple things that Does sound Does he get so- champagne at every Christmas holiday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He does, actually. <laughs> Um, yeah. I mean, there's so much to this concept that is fantastic and that could apply in so many different scenarios. I mean, I was thinking of, you know, the person right out of school, first new job, a high pressure environment and at a corporation or at an agency or wherever you're working. And it's like there's competition amongst all these people who are on this team. And so it's like you be you, you get to this point where you're just trying to, I don't know, figure it out on your own. And it's OK to ask for help. It's not a big deal. It's not going to make you seem dumb or you know, lesser in any way. So I love that. So what led to then your new book, 5% More? Well, you know, 5% More, uh, when I wrote the first one, I didn't necessarily have a plan for writing a second one. And I told the story in the book. It's kind of a kind of a funny story. I'm a big guy. I was in a spinning class in, in my hometown and we get to the end of the class and it's 45 minutes and you know everyone's kind of half dead and, and the instructor's in the front of the class and she's motivating you, getting you going. And she says, look, these next five minutes, I want you to give me 5% more effort. She says, if you give me this 5% more effort, you're going to burn more calories. Your metabolic rate's going to increase. Your heart rate's going to increase. Your resting heart rate's going to increase. You're going to burn more calories throughout the day and ultimately, you're going to live a healthier, happier life. And then she said, anybody can do anything for Five percent more, and it was like almost like an outer body experience for me. It it just clicked, and I looked around the room, and I saw everybody, and I saw you know different ages and races and ethnicities, and everyone. Not only did we give five percent more, but everyone probably gave more than five percent more of an effort. And I said, "Man, I jumped off that bike." Of course, I wiped it down after, right? I jumped, <laughs> off, I jumped, I jumped off that bike. I went into my car and I started writing the concepts down, and I said, "I wonder." if this concept could apply to every aspect of your life. And I started doing the research. You know, you just talked about the scenario of working in a, you know, a young college, you know, student maybe or fresh out of college, you know, in the workforce mm-hmm. and you're working together as a team and you want to climb that corporate ladder and you want to grow and everyone else is kind of in the same boat. And so what do you do? Like, how can you separate yourself from, from those people? Well, hmm. I, one, one easy way to do that is to look at whatever level you're at. So let's use the level of you're a, you are a, uh, you know, you're, you're new to the corporation. You just, you just, you just, Join the corporation, and uh, you're an entry in an entry level position. But there's a bunch of you, right? But you want to climb. What do you do? Well, one of the things that you do, it's really simple, is you just work a little bit harder than those at your level in order to be noticed, in order to be successful. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. So let's say you're at work, come to work a little bit earlier than everybody else. Stay just a little bit later than everybody else. Produce more than just a little bit more than everybody else and do that over time. And what happens is you compound on that. And when you spread it out over the course of the year, you are going to be 30, 40, 50, even up to 100% better than everybody else just by doing a little bit more each day. And that's what's really got me successful. And that's became that, that's what became 5% more. And when I looked at every aspect of anyone's life, it applies to everything. And that's how, and that's what, how we got to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Is the spin instructor getting a, a cut of the book sales? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's a... Uh, 
funny story. So I just reached out to the general manager of, of, of my gym, and you know, he, he didn't know the story. I literally just, his name's Andrew. I just talked to him literally two days ago, and her name's Nicole. She has no idea. She doesn't even know that this, this has happened yet. Uh, so we're actually going to do something pretty fun for her. I'll tell you now because she, she probably won't hear this until, until after. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, next week, actually, uh, I'm going to go in. I'm going to take the spin class, and he's going he's gonna to come in towards the end. We're going to film this whole thing, and towards the end, uh, he's going to get up, and then I'm going to get up and tell that story that I just told. Yeah. And then I'm going to ask the people in the room to buy a copy or several copies of the book. I'm going to donate 5% of the, of the revenue to any charity of her choice. And then I'm going to give her 5% of my entire royalty for this entire month of August. And I've already sold thousands of copies of the book. And she has no idea this is going to happen. Aww. That's a great, a great way moment. of giving her uh, you know, pat on her back yes. for um, saying something that sparked this light bulb. Hey guys, I want to take a quick break to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Warby Parker. What a cool company. As you probably already know about them, they provide vintage-inspired prescription eyeglasses starting at just like 95 bucks. And I love this company because they got you covered even if you have like a really bad prescription like me. Like my right eye is way worse than my left eye. If I didn't have glasses, I'd be like cockeyed all day long. And you wear Coke bottle lenses, okay? Let's just say it. Let's just say it. And you need a special prescription. Well, they can get you those at a good price. And get this, they also are a socially conscious business. So for every pair of glasses sold, they give a free pair to someone in need. 15% of our global population, they don't have access to eyewear like we do. They can't effectively learn, work, drive, and that boggles my mind. I can't even imagine going through life not being able to see what the hell I'm doing. So get this, through NOL, you can do their home try-on program where you can order five pairs of glasses to be shipped directly to you for free. You can try all the frames on, you know, take some selfies, put them on Instagram, tag ladyfox.entertainment, please. Five pairs for five days. Then mail them all back to Warby Parker with the included prepaid return shipping label. And then choose your favorites to have your prescription added onto them. It's all risk-free. Again, free shipping. It's super fantastic. They've got cool styles. You're going to look smart and awesome. And uh, you can get all of this by using your special NOL listener link, which is warbyparkertrial.com forward slash NOL. Again, warbyparkertrial.com slash NOL. So why don't you add 5% more to your podcast listening experience and go get your glasses. Back to the show. I want to have a few more examples, though, like of how doing just a little more yields big results. And so I don't know if you want to share something from your personal life that you've implemented or you've said you've did a lot of research, so maybe with athletes or whatever else. Sure, I'll give you an example. So I spoke to uh, Comcast uh, last last uh, I think uh, last December. I spoke to their entire out uh, their entire door to door sales division. Now Comcast, uh, a big majority of their actual business is driven from door to door salespeople. Literally, people that are literally banging on people doors. People still every do day. that. That's how that's how that business is run. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, because I don't and want it, anybody coming to my door. <laughs> do, do you? If they well, I mean, if they're going give, to give me a good deal, why not? Hmm. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't like all the phone calls or the emails either. I mean, we've we've come into such a digital age. If somebody comes to my door, I'm like, what are you doing 
Well, that's the but other thing. I'm in LA. I don't know if it's just like a cultural thing or what. Well, nobody likes to be sold. That's another. That's a, that's a whole. And I talk about that actually. Now, we'll get more. Nobody likes to be sold. But at the end of the day, we're we are selling twenty four seven. You and I, when we first met, we were selling each other. I was selling you why I should come on your podcast, and you were selling me for the same reason why I should come on your podcast. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's it, it sales no matter what you do. When you wake up in the morning, you're selling yourself why you're gonna get out get out of bed, and why you're gonna get in your car, and why you're gonna go to the gym, and why you're gonna grind it out. We're making sales all day long. Yes, so sales true. is is what it is. And so people who who believe that they're not salespeople. People, every single person on this planet is a salesperson, yeah. and they're selling something every single day. Um, uh, a stay-at-home mom is selling her kids why they should, you know, eat healthy and why they should get in the mm. car and why they yes. should go to school and why they should get dressed. You know, it's just, it's just, that's just the way it is. So okay, I'll give so you the Comcast people example, right? Go okay, back so to the Comcast people. When I spoke to them, uh, they they spoke on average. Uh, excuse me, they knocked on average uh, of fifty doors a day, right? So what, when I when I spoke to their sales uh, managers, I said, "Do me a favor, show me what." Uh, you know, tell me what their commission is and tell me what their close rate is. And I don't want to get too complicated with the numbers, but I said, show me all that and show me all that stuff. And then what I said to them is I said, and I, and I modeled it out and I said, look, what if you just knocked on two and a half doors a day extra, just two and a half doors a day extra. And then you just spread that out over the course of the month. And then you spread that out over the course of the course over the year. And if you just held that, you remain static at just two and a half doors a day, which is probably about maybe another 10 minutes a day Mm -hmm. in, in their day. What would your life look like? Assuming everything else stayed the same, your close rate, your commission rate and everything else. And you know, mathematically that's the way it should work, right? Mm -hmm. So if they did that, which, which and I'll tell you in a second what happened. If they did that, on average, they would uh, receive an additional $6,250 on an annual basis, just knocking on two and a half doors hmm. a day. That's it. That's all you have to do. And so I had a bunch of them come up to me after and say, are you kidding me? Of course we can do that. You know, we could probably want, no, want, want, you know, knock on five extra yeah, doors. Yeah, I was just going to say. Would be, yeah, which would be 10%, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I had, I, I, I ran into one of them actually in the local grocery store and he came up to me and said, Mike, I did that, but I've been doing actually essentially uh, um, uh, 10% more, so which would be five doors a day. And I made that extra $12,000 last year. Wow. That extra, extra $12,000, you know, paid for my for my kid's education. That paid, you know, he didn't give me the examples, but I'm, I'm just saying that that's what it really does. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's really the fundamentals of really kind of how it works. I apply it in my day-to-day life in, in, at my company at Blue Vase, where I say to my salespeople, I say, look, see, in the sales world, they always they always try and set goals, and a lot of times they set goals. They call the stretch goals, right? There's like the the regular goal, which is the baseline, and then the medium goal, and then they always set the stretch goal. And they always set the stretch goal so high that no one ever achieves it anyway. <laughs> and, 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 but it's like it, it's the dangle in the carrot, like, hey, if you hit this, you're gonna make yeah. a ton of money. But no, two million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And 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 you know, look, I'm a big fan of setting huge goals, and I'm okay with that. But let's put together a real plan with 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 realistic steps in order to get to that giant goal, right? Mm-hmm. So I say to my salespeople, look, all I want you to do is I want you to just to be 5% better than the month before or the day before or the week before. That's it. And when they do that, they like, oh, it, it just clicks with them. Like, I can do that. I can I can talk to another five people today versus, you know, a hundred, or I could talk to another 10 people. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter the math of it. It's more of the, the mentality of it and more mm-hmm. of the idea, the, the ideology of it. It's, the, the, it's the overall underlining concept of, hey, 
I can do just a little bit more in order to be successful in life. And so and when you talk about athletes, right, Michael Phelps, he just won his 19th gold medal. When you look at him, now he is a genetic phenomenon just by the way his body is structured. But if you look at him and you look at some of the other elite athletes in his class, and there's several of them, okay, and he's, you know, he's very rare that he's ever lost because he is a genetic phenomenon. <laughs> but if you, but he's if a you robot. look at, he, well, it's just, I mean, he's so tall and his, his wingspan and his feet, and, you know, I think he's got like a 15, uh, 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 oh, size 15 foot. Lord. His hands are huge. Anyway, so, but if you look at him and you look at Tiger Woods or you look at these other elite athletes of our time and you look at the others and what they're doing in their day-to-day -day life, in their training regimen, they're really not that much different than everybody else at their level. And then if you look at the spread between first and last, it's less than 5%. So if you're an elite athlete, you are striving for like 2% better. 3% hmm. better. If you get 5% better, you're winning a gold medal. And that's just and that's just a fact. Yeah. And it really comes down to at the end of the day working just a little bit harder. I talked about in the book, you know, I played college football and it was Division Two when we first started, and then Division Three. And I've always been a big guy, and I felt like I was a pretty decent athlete. And and, uh, and the title of the of that section is High School Hero, College Zero. Because what happens is, is we all go to college, and we all get to this get to the next level, and we all think we're studs, and we all think we're going to do great. And and I did okay, uh, and I was recruited in the whole thing. But then, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, I, I didn't have a, a lot of success uh, in playing football, and I, and I was bitter about it, and I blamed it on, you know, I said, you know, guys doing steroids. I said, whatever. I just blamed it on. I took. You know, I made a lot of excuses for why I wasn't starting or why I wasn't playing. But then when I step back and I look at it years later, Michelle, really at the end of the day, what it came down to is when I look at the guys that were starting over me, they worked just a little bit harder than me and they were just a little bit faster than me and they had just a little bit better mental attitude than I did. And that's really the difference between starting and not starting. And that's the difference between good and great. That's amazing. Now, I'm thinking about how does this work if you have employees? Let's say for some listeners out there who are older, maybe they're middle management um, or upper management. How do you apply this concept of 5% more to get it out of your people? Um, or um, for your coworkers, if you have to work on a team and to get your team to contribute more because you tend to be that person to do it all and take care of the project and everyone else looks good for it. Well, you know, again, when I, when I talk about the 5% more concept or, or the 5% more mentality or the 5% more ideology, it's in, in someone that asked me a similar question, they said, well, what if we're not in sales? You know, we can't really necessarily quantify, right. you know, right. quantify the word. What if I'm a writer? Well, and I said, well, okay, well, if you're a writer, like I have writers on staff and, you know, and they look and they, they come to me and they say, okay, well, my goal is, you know, a thousand words for the day. And they say, well, you know, maybe I'll do a thousand fifty today. Okay. And maybe I'll compound on that and maybe we'll do 1100 words a day. So in that scenario, it is kind of quantifiable. But when you look, and it, it's more, again, of the generalized concept. So if you're working together in that environment and what you're producing uh, is not necessarily numbers or, or dollars and cents, what I say to people is, and this is what I've done again in my life, and I'll give you, the, the, I'll give you an example from my book. As I was writing my book, I, the whole time I was writing it, I had, I had an editor all along because he edited my first book, and I just found it a lot easier to edit as I was going. And, you know, he would throw it. He would throw the concept of five percent more back to me and say, "Mike, great. This is a great section here, but I need just a little bit more." And so I would go back to it and I would look at it. I would spend a little bit more time on it. Give I me five percent more, Mike. That's it. I would just walk tweet, the talk. Tweet, exactly. He's like, oh, "Shit, you know, my own concept." He's is a brat. My face. That's that's yeah, one yeah. of your asshole friends, I guess. Chris, Chris Benyon. Now he's amazing. He's a great. <laughs> 
I uh, give him props in both books. He's just a great guy. But and that and that's it. So so in in that environment, whatever it is. So it's it's giving just a little bit more effort. It's spending a little bit more time on the concept. It's maybe working through the idea, working through the challenge just a little bit more because that's really when things start to happen. I was talking to somebody uh, about this concept and, and, and he said, Mike, I love it. He goes, I have a concept. And he goes, I call it the last 5%. I go, no way. And he said, yeah. He goes, I call it the last. I said, why do you do that? And he says, because generally when things get done, especially when they're, when they're done properly, it's usually that last 5% effort, almost like back to the spinning class. It's the last 5% that we put forth. It's the last five minutes of that meeting that you didn't want to spend. You're exhausted. You're tired. You want to drink coffee. You want to get out of there or whatever. It's usually it's that last effort that gets you to the finish line, so to speak. So whatever aspect of business that you're in, again, whether it be customer service, whether it be you know sales, whether it be over, overall management, and, and when you say how do you apply it to other people, that's how you apply it to people. You explain to them that it's really the fundamentals of just giving a little bit more in whatever aspect of your life or your business that you're in. And that's, that, that's the easiest way to explain it, I think, and the easiest way to apply it. Mm-hmm. And today, my uh, gardeners are giving 5% more. They've come back a second time. <laughs> <laughs> so you hey, may listen, hear them in the background. You must be doing something good if you have gardeners. <laughs> no, they're not my gardeners. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I will have my own gardeners, Mike Alden, <laughs> after I buy your book and I figure out how to apply this concept to my life. <laughs> um, any final thoughts for our listeners out there? No, I mean again, I just uh, I just want to I, I want to implore upon people that the you know I've seen a lot of different programs out there. I've seen all these programs where they tell you have to be ten times better than everybody else. You need to be a hundred percent on a hundred percent of the time, and nobody can do that. And in my book, I even show scientifically, physiologically, our brains aren't wired that way. Our bodies, our anatomies aren't wired that way, but our bodies are, and our brains are actually wired to make small progressive steps over time. And when you do that over time, those small progressive steps they become habit, and once they become habit, that's when changes start to happen. So what I say to people is don't take a giant step. Let's take small baby steps over time in whatever it is you're trying to do. But here's the one basic thing, and I learned this actually in a yoga class of all places, and, and this is it. Simple things work, Michelle, but only if you do them. So when I say to you, apply 5% more to whatever aspect of your life, you actually have to do it first and not just understand it. So let's take that step. Let's take that action and build on it over time. And that's, uh, and that's the concept of 5% more. I love it. It's so powerful, so simple, yet so impactful. And uh, you guys out there listening, you gals out there listening, uh, go to michael-alden.com, get a copy of his book. Um, and by the time this comes out, I think it's it's going to be just about released. And if not, you could get a pre-order, right? Absolutely. It's available for pre-order now. It's available on Barnes & Noble. It's available on Books A Million. It's available on Hudson News. It's available on Amazon. It's available everywhere. Yeah, go ahead and pre-order the, pre-order the book. And if and by the time this is released, if it's just after, go ahead and please go ahead and buy the book because, you know, uh, th- this book is, is, is important to me, but I really think that this is something that can really change people's lives. And I say that with all sincerity. Um, you know, selling or writing a book is not a huge money maker really for me or really for anybody these days. But That's a whole ask, other episode. We could talk yeah. about the publishing industry. <laughs> You know, people ask me and they said, you know, really what drives you? And money doesn't drive me, but this drives me because I know that it's going to change people's lives. And ultimately for me, yeah, money will come. But I think that this is something that 
anybody can do. Again, whether you're a high school student, whether you're a, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, or whether you're a salesperson, whether you're a CEO of a multinational corporation, it really does work and really does apply to virtually every aspect of anyone's life. Good stuff. Everybody out there listening, please go and get your 5% more in your life and send us an email. Let us know how it's going uh, to me and Mike. Um, I can be reached at uh, ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. And Mike, how can you be reached? You know, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Mike Alden 2012 and Twitter at Mike Alden 2012. My Facebook page is backslash the Alden Report. Or like you said, you can also find me at michael-alden.com. Awesome. I love that. Well, should I go through all my social media now too? <laughs> I don't think that's necessary. I would if I you give a little bit more, you know? Hey, let's go through the show notes, everybody. You know how to reach me at Lady Fox Official on Twitter. And uh, Mike, I think you and I need to connect on Twitter yet. I think we're already connected on Instagram. That's how we connected. I love social media for that reason. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you again for taking your time, sharing your great story, and inspiring the listeners of Nothing Off Limits. And I'm looking forward to more great stuff from you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. You too. Coming up next week on Nothing Off Limits, I've got a two-part music episode for y'all with the amazing Billy Vera, American singer, songwriter, actor, author, and music historian. Billy's songs have been recorded by artists like Bonnie Raitt, Robert Plant, The Shirelles, Lou Rawls, Tom Jones, and many more. Billy himself has sung the theme songs to King of Queens, Empty Nest, and he's been the voice of AM-PM commercials for 17 years, people. He's got some great stories. Tune in next week for Billy Vera. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.